All right. Well, you know, this week, my wife and I, we were privileged to be able to uh, take a, a quick trip out to BC to see our kids, and particularly our, our daughter, although our kids always think if we're coming out there, we're just really going to see Macy, our granddaughter. But there is another reason uh, this week, and that is our daughter, uh, Jessa, is graduating with her Bachelor of Science in Environmental Studies. And, uh, and so we're going to celebrate that for one day. We're flying out late Tuesday night and flying home Wednesday, uh, so it's a quick turnaround. But we're excited to celebrate with her as she walks across, and uh, we're glad for her. Also, she has a, a job in her field as an environmental biologist in Abbotsford, so it sounds pretty impressive. And I always, I, actually, it's pretty good, right, when someone does graduate, speaking of our graduates, but when they, they do their post-secondary education and then they actually get a job in that field, um, that's, a, that's a cool thing, right? It's a, uh, somewhat rare sometimes, but at least this point in her life, that's what she's doing and she's loving it. But we get to watch her as she walks across the aisle and is, is presented as a, as a graduate from uh, University of the Fraser Valley. And it made me think as well in looking at today uh, although we're going to be looking at a text in 1 John, but the, the words of Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, where the Apostle Paul says, Him, speaking of Jesus, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And so that is the, the wonderful graduation ceremony of, of uh, our lives one day is being presented uh, mature in Christ. And so I pray that today in the words that we talk about as we focus on the, the person of Jesus Christ and how critical uh, his work is, how critical his nature is in our lives, in our thinking, in our experiences as believers, uh, that that might be something that nudges us forward in terms of, of not just having the theological answers all checked off and right, but that we would come to know the beauty and the majesty of Jesus. And so let's pray. Uh, Lord, today as we come to your word, we recognize that there are things in it that are, are hard for us to understand. We thank you for those who have done a lot of work and have studied and have um, done a lot of the groundwork in terms of the biblical languages and the context and all these things that we're grateful for, that we can learn from. And, and Lord, most importantly, as we talk about truth today, the truth of Jesus, we would recognize that the truth is not just a, a list of of doctrinal statements, but the truth is a person, the person of Jesus whom we might know and love and follow. And so please guide us as we, we look at your word and we thank you for it. May we submit to the authority of God that's found in it. <clears throat> in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're in uh, the book of 1 John, chapter 2, verse 18 to 29. And I'll let you know this, we're, we're taking a break from 1 John next week. We're going to have Ken Esau with us 
from our conference, and Ken is always a, a special guest here, part of our, really, of our family, and so uh, don't miss that. Always good to hear from Ken. Uh, but we are today, chapter 2, verse 18 to 29. <clears throat> Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. Verse 23. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. That what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as is his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him. So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. All right, a few kind of initial observations as we look at this text. Once again, we see that the Apostle John, he uses this descriptor of this, his audience, children, dear children. And so it's, it's just that simple thing. Those who are, are part of the church, he calls children. And you can refer to last week's message if you want more on, on that. Children. And it's just this term of endearment, of, of love that he has for his church as, as a pastor uh, would have for his flock, children. He says the last hour. This is a, an interesting expression that he uses, and it, it does fall in, in line with some of the other teachings in the New Testament that we see from Peter and from the Apostle Paul as far as the last days or the last hour. We get tripped up with this sometimes when we talk about the last hour, the last days, but it's important that we think about this not in terms of a chronological type of thing, event, but more theological, more about the age that is being ushered in or that was ushered in by Christ. That's the beginning of it, of the last days that we also continue to live in and will culminate when he returns. So we live in these last days and as such need to be equipped to stand firm because the signs of this last hour is false teachers who will lead many astray. That's what he says. This is the last hour. This is how we know it is last hour because there's all these false teachers and antichrist rising up. So he uses this term, Antichrist, and he says that there is, there is the one and then there is many, or those who have the spirit of the Antichrist. And so 
Uh, I'm not going to spend tons of time talking about Antichrist, but know that this is what the term Antichrist is particular to the Apostle John. So his, his works, uh, his letters and writings and in Revelation talk about Antichrist. It's kind of special to him, whereas the Apostle Paul will talk about there's the, the man of perdition or the man of lawlessness, this kind of thing. And we see that throughout Scripture and also in prophetic works like in, in Daniel uh, again, not going to go through all of it, unpack it all, but it seems that there is, there is one particular, the Antichrist, who will come into the world and deceive. But what John is saying here is that there is, there is many that have the spirit of Antichrist. And so what does, that, what does that mean? This term, Antichrist, can have two different meanings in the Greek. And so what it'll have is, on one hand, it'll be the, the opposite of, okay, or the uh, ag- opposed or, or against in terms of that. We, we, we know this in terms of our own language where we talk about something that's anti, whether it's, you know, anti-venom, you get a bite, you know, you want to go against the venom, uh, or anti-freeze, antibiotics, anti-aging creams, maybe you know those things. This is, this is what we sometimes think of when we think of anti-Christ. Well, not anti-aging, but you know what I'm saying. It's the opposite of that kind of a thing, right? But it, it can also mean instead of or in the place of. And so this is particularly, I think, what John is getting at here with the Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist. Yes, it has opposition to who Jesus is, but it's also, there's a deceptive ploy involved in this. Right, and so this is this is the strategy uh, of of our enemy. So not just so much opposed and against, but actually to present an alternative, a substitute Christ. Right. So if you think of it in terms of of what we know of the Antichrist, as in the one the one Antichrist, the Bible talks about someone. This this person would have appeal. This person would be doing signs and wonders. This person would, would deceive people. Yeah, I don't know if, you've, you know if you've been deceived, but this is, this is something that, you know, if someone just says something that's so out there, it's so blatantly wrong, so blatantly opposite. I mean, you think about the person of Jesus and knowing who he was as, as a person that walked the earth in love and healing people and speaking what is true. And yeah, he stirred up things. But if you think of someone that's opposite of that, who would, who would follow that if that old person was so full of, of hate and so angry? And so, like, this is, this is the thing about the Antichrist is someone that actually, he actually has appeal because this is a tool of the enemy is deception. He's not just someone walking around, you know, with a big A on his shirt so that you could identify him, right? And this is the same with the spirit of the Antichrist. There is deception. So John is giving us here in this, in this text, in chapter 2, really two kind of warnings specifically that are external and internal. If you remember last week, we talked about his words to say, do not love the world. Do not love the world. And this world, that this system that is opposed to God, that is against God, against his ways and his word. Do not love the world. Do not be aligned with the world. And that's, that's a... That's a opposition that comes outside of the church but this warning is actually from within 
those who were actually a part of the church. All right, a few characteristics of those mentioned in this who were, who were false. First of all, they deceive. They deceive. We look down at verse 26, and that's what, that's what it says. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. I mentioned this, um, maybe to some of you have never really talked about it too much publicly, but uh, in terms of things that happened in, in my family with my parents when they got older, they, they fell victim to a, a scammer. And it was a hard thing for us in, in our, our family because we, if, if any of you have been a victim of a, of a scammer or know of someone or your family, um, it just, it just kind of guts you because you're, you're so, it's so clear to you that, that this, is a, this is a trick, this is a, a scam. And yet, especially for my mom, she, she fell victim to it because, you know, on one hand, she was, she was lonely um, and just, uh, you know, when someone would phone her and want to engage in conversation and would, would ask about her kids and, and would, you know, ask how she was doing and how she was feeling that day. And, and when some of us as her kids weren't doing that every day, uh, she, she felt like she, this, this person that was on the phone was, was always interested in how she was doing and had great opportunities for her. <laughs> To, uh, to make some money so that she could actually bless her children and do things that she never could do. And so she fell into this trap. And for us, we could see it. We said, Mom, you're, you're being deceived. This person, they, they're just faking that they're interested in you. They're just faking that they, that they care deeply about you. And so one takeaway, I guess, that I would say for you um, is be on guard against scammers uh, for your loved ones and for your parents, especially that are elderly, because it is incredible, the trap that they set. But when we think of, of a deceiver, again, it's not someone that's just like, hey, I'm calling you up. I'm trying to trick you here. Will you give me all your money? Click. Doesn't work that way, right? There's a, there's a grooming. There's a, there's a desire that they would have to, to worm their way in. And this is what, what actually John is saying in the same way. There, there's deceivers with, within the body. This is how our enemy operates. Someone said about deception, about lies. You know, a, a half-truth is like a half-brick. It flies farther. It goes farther. This is what deception does. And sometimes we don't really see it right away within, within our body. But we have to be on guard. And this is what John is saying. Be warned. Little children, take care. Be watchful. So we hear and we read in Scripture that our enemy masquerades as an angel of light. Things look good. Seems to blend right in. And yet, their intent is deception. Secondly, they depart. They depart. This is, this is a characteristic of them. That's what he says. This, this is a scary part because it says that they were actually a part of the fellowship. Right? So they, they departed. They had been a part of it. But ultimately, it's revealed that they were not really part of it. Why? Because they left. That's what he says. That was the telltale sign. That was the, the unmasking of those who were seeking to 
to deceive is that they left. They weren't actually part of it. Now, people leave the church, you know, all the time. When someone leaves, don't say, oh, those people, they were, they were antichrists. They were deceivers. Don't, you know, don't do that. People leave, you know, for all kinds of reasons. This group of people that were leaving, they weren't leaving because they didn't like the songs that were being sung. They didn't leave because, wow, man, that preacher preaches too long. You know, they, they weren't, they didn't leave because, oh, you know, the, the pastor, the elders, they didn't come visit or anything like that. It wasn't anything like that. People have all kinds of reasons for, for leaving a church. This group of people, they departed. What he's saying is because their, their ploy, their deception wasn't working. And they left. And they, so they weren't actually a part of the body. Seemed like it. You know, if the foundational truth of Jesus is continually proclaimed and affirmed in our singing and our, our songs teach, let, do not just feel like, oh, that was a nice melody, nice song. Our songs, the words that we sang today were powerful. Speaking of who Jesus is, they teach. So in our songs, in our prayer, in the word that we, we hear, that we preach, if that message, the foundational truth of Jesus is continually proclaimed and affirmed, it's going to cause people who think differently to, to leave. If they don't agree with who Jesus is. In our confession as a denomination, we uphold critical matters of our theology. And that's why, it, you know, it is so important when we, we come to and we say, will you be a part of us as our, our covenant community? Lots of different things, lots of things we have conversation on. But the critical matters of our, the core things of who Jesus is, what he has done for us, these are things we don't move on. Now, do we want people to leave? No. But listen, unity of the church is not our ultimate value. Unity that does not regard the truth we know in Jesus Christ may not be any unity Worth cherishing. That's what Gary Berge says, commentary. Hear it again. Unity that does not regard the truth we know in Jesus Christ may not be any unity worth cherishing. Now, so there's some that leave. They depart, right? That's what I said. They weren't really a part of us, and so they've left. That was a telltale sign, the characteristic. But we read in other parts of the, script of, of the Bible where people do not leave. You know, for whatever reason, they stay within the church. But they honestly have never actually submitted their lives to Jesus Christ. So they've, they've tasted it, but never fully partaken of the gift of Jesus. They might attend weekly, serve in a ministry, even been baptized. But the heart of the gospel may have never really taken root in their lives. The parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 13 of the wheat and the tares. You can mark that down. You can look that up. But it indicates that there would be an ultimate separating at the time of the harvest. See, there was weeds that the deceiver put in and planted in among the weeds. And so they were trying to, well, should we pull these out? How are we going to discern everything? And, and no. Farmer says, no, let's, let's wait until they grow up, till the harvest, and then you'd be able to distinguish 
fully. It's kind of a disturbing thought as far as those in our, in, among the church. But this is the reality. So they deceive, they depart. And why do they do that? This is because they deny the son. They deny the son. Verse 22 and 23 says, Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Jesus said this. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. And so to reject the person and the work of Jesus as Messiah, fully human, fully divine, to reject Jesus as our Savior is to reject the Father. They deny the Son. All right, so there's some characteristics of those in the, the contrasting side, of those who are, are true. So there is a falsehood and there is, there is truth. First of all, we have an anointing. This is what John says. We have an anointing. Verse 27, the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. Now, if you read that, first of all, and say, wow, that's pretty arrogant, saying, man, I don't need to be taught because I'm, I'm anointed. That's not, that's not what he's saying. He's saying that as you have received the Spirit of God, what Jesus said was, you will receive the Spirit who will guide you into all truth. We have, he is, he is the teacher. It's not that we, we stop learning. It's just on this, on this matter, on who Jesus is, he says, you've heard this from the beginning. He keeps going back to the beginning. This has been the, the root of what you have heard right away. You don't need, you don't need more knowledge, as was the, what was being said in this congregation, the, this Gnostic teaching that you need something special, a special knowledge, special ability to understand and, and know who God is. You don't, you don't need that because you have the anointing, the spirit. As his anointing teaches you about everything and is true, is no lie. Continue to abide. The word for anointing in the Greek is the same word as, as Messiah, the anointed one. And so these antichrists deny, but as believers in Jesus, we've been messiahed. We've been anointed by the spirit of Jesus. We affirm the son. I want you to hear that clearly today in our fellowship here. We affirm the Son. We confess Jesus. John is establishing the truth of Jesus as the test, the ultimate dividing line. This is who God's word reveals Jesus to be, as I said, right from the beginning. And right from the beginning as we see at the beginning of the church as well. Peter in the book of Acts chapter 2 verse 36 says, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Further on in, in Acts chapter 18, verse 24 to 28, it says this about a guy named Apollos. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus, get this, accurately, Though he knew only the baptism of John, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. 
When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by faith, by grace, had believed. Verse 28, for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. This is throughout the book of Acts. You see this, that Jesus is the Messiah. I'm going to read to you a couple of, of more scriptures. And if, if you believe this, if you say, yes, that, that is true, that I hold to that conviction, I want you to verbally say amen. Now, sometimes you say, why do we say amen? Sometimes you think, well, that's how you end your prayer, so you, people know that you're done. No. Um, <laughs> kind of, but as far as what the word means, the word means so be it, or truly. It is true, okay? So as I'm going to read these two particular passages on who the Son is, then we hold out and we say, we affirm this. If you agree, say amen at the end of it, all right? Here we go. Hebrews 1, verse 1 to 3. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Amen. Colossians 1, 15 to 20. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is what our, our MV confession states. This is what we hold out. What we preach. The Son, through whom all things were created and who holds all things together, is the image of the invisible God. Conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, Jesus took on human nature to redeem this fallen world. He revealed the fullness of God through his obedient and sinless life. Through word and deed, Jesus proclaimed the reign of God bringing good news to the poor, release to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind. Christ triumphed over sin through his death and resurrection and was exalted as Lord of creation and the church. The Savior of the world invites all to be reconciled to God, offering peace to those far and near, and calling them to follow him in the way of the cross. Until the Lord Jesus returns in glory, he intercedes for believers, acts as their advocate, and calls them to be his witnesses. 
And you can say amen to that too if you believe. So that's what we do. That's what we as a church are about. We're about confessing the Son. And finally, we continue to abide. Scripture reminds us over and over again that perseverance is the hallmark of believers in Jesus. Now, we may have moments of doubt. We'll have hard times of, of testing and trials, and we, we trust that God alone knows each person's heart. But here in this letter, John has spelled some very clear things out. Clear assurance tests. And this is clear. That true believers, they walk in fellowship with the Father and His Son. Is that true of you today? Are you walking in fellowship with the Father and with His Son? True believers walk in fellowship with each other. We don't forsake the gathering together for worship. We value each other. We continue to love each other. We gather for teaching and for worship, whether that be also in life groups, in ministry teams, walking with those who, who also will have courage because they're close enough to us in relationship to correct us if we, if we step out of things in truth. True believers also, they walk in the truth of God's word. And John says that, that that also is recognized by righteous living. We say Jesus is the righteous one and his followers, what do followers do? Followers follow. We live that out in righteous living. I invite you to, to stand as we close and our, our team's going to come up. And I'm, I'm going to probably throw a curveball at you, just so you know, Karen. I know you love this. Um, but I was, I was so compelled uh, as we sang a, the familiar song, Cornerstone, uh, to us. Because I think it just clearly um, communicates the, the, the truth of, of what we hold out as a church to you. And we, I would hope and pray that that would be part of your expression today. That you're saying, Jesus, you alone. You alone are what we put our, our confidence in, our trust in. Verse 28 says this, And now little children abide in him. Abide. Keep, keep remaining. Keep in relationship with him. Walk with him. So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous... You may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So as we sing.